0: I'm Roberta Lee, the author of a series of novels collectively entitled Suburban Sprawl, as well as a guide to reading tarot cards called The Language of Tarot. This podcast is my way of introducing you to The Language of Tarot. I will begin reading the book's introduction in a moment, but first let me tell you a bit about the book. It is 452 pages in length, contains over 400 illustrations and is available as a beautifully bound paperback, 6 by 9 inches in size, both on my website, robertaleart.com, and on amazon.com. If you prefer an e-book, I have it for sale in several formats on robertaleart.com, to read on a computer, a Blackberry, or other handheld device, or on a Kindle reader. This podcast will contain excerpts from the language of Tarot, but not the entire book. After this introduction, I will add separate episodes for each of the major Arcana cards of the Tarot deck. These episodes will be read directly from the language of Tarot, and together comprise Chapter 8 of the book. Further episodes of this podcast will be excerpts from the chapters on Casting and Interpreting Readings, Sample interpretations of some minor arcana cards and court cards, and a few other excerpts from the book that I think you will enjoy. So let's get started with the introduction to The Language of Tarot. The Language of Tarot Introduction Tarot is a visual language, an interface between you, the seeker, and the oracle of the Tarot. As a seeker, you ask questions. Using the language of Tarot, a language of images designed to spark an intuitive connection, the oracle will answer. You ask, it answers. It's that simple. Having said that, I should add that there are as many theories about what Tarot is, where the cards originated and how old they are, as there are Tarot scholars and books about Tarot. Perhaps it's sufficient merely to admit that we really don't know the truth about any of these questions. Certainly, the concept of a deck of tablets or cards that are used for fortune-telling goes back further than the verifiable historical record in Europe, and the underlying idea of an oracle that people can consult for guidance is infinitely ancient. In fact, it could be argued that this issue of asking for advice from some other, some exterior to humanity source, is one of the defining facets of human consciousness. We, as a species, seek communication with that in which we long to believe, divinity. We've called divinity by many different names over our history. I'm sure you could come up with at least half a dozen quickly off the top of your head. Clearly, It's a concept we all need to believe in. It's also pretty clear that human culture begins with some attempt at developing a common spiritual structure and that tribal cohesion has a great deal to do with shared belief systems, rituals, and mutually held traditions. The best examples of truly primitive religions we have found intact and studied in modern times have many points in common and a belief that direct communication with a world distinctly other than human is universal among them. The path of that communication, as well as the rules about who can access it, when and how, may vary, but the basic concept is shared. We know of many historical oracles. The ancient Mediterranean civilization, Egyptian, Greek, and Roman, all had well-established, even entrenched, systems of divination. Asian, African, Australian, and American native peoples had equally well-defined methods of divination. Many of these systems involved the use of altered mental states to access the oracle. The ingestion of intoxicants or hallucinogenic plants, the intentional seeking out of physical pain and sensory deprivation, or even the controlled exposure to snake venom, which in certain species contain hallucinogenic chemicals, have all been used by various peoples to create a mental state conducive to direct communication with the other. These systems of interaction with the other are broadly grouped together as being shamanistic. Another type of oracle, however, is focused on the creation of a random pattern and the establishment of an interface between humanity and divinity using a commonly recognized language to interpret that alleged randomness, the essential concept being that there is no such thing as randomness. One example of that type of divination is the ancient Chinese book of I Ching, a very powerful and flexible oracle. The I Ching uses randomly generated patterns, the lines on a tortoise's shell, the shapes formed by tossed sticks, or the occurrence of heads and tails in coin tosses, to interface a complex and highly interpretive series of poems. In its most familiar permutation, the toss of three coins, repeated six times, points to a certain group of six individual lines of poetry called a hexagram. Variations in whether the coins fall face up or down further specify lines that are most pertinent to the question asked, as well as then pointing to another hexagram that will tell the resolution to the problem. As much as 4,000 years ago, The Chinese had not only invented an oracle, but also accessed it through what we would now recognize as binary code. The I Ching is an elegant and extraordinarily accurate oracle if cast with seriousness and interpreted with care. However, every system of reaching the oracle has its pluses and minuses. I use the I Ching and I find it hugely useful and full of wonderful insights. The I Ching is a highly pragmatic oracle, especially helpful when seeking advice, trying to devise a strategy and avoid missed steps along some path. However, for more in-depth readings, especially those involving other people and their psychological states, I find myself reaching first for my Tarot cards. I've been working with Tarot, learning Tarot, for over 30 years. I've read Professionally, meaning for money, as well as for myself, for friends, for my friends' friends, the friends of my friends' friends, basically for anyone who is willing to sit across the table from me. Because the best way to learn Tarot is to do Tarot. Practice may never make perfect, but it certainly keeps making better. I've taught Tarot, both in classroom settings and online, and meanwhile, Tarot was teaching itself to me. My thoughts on what the individual cards signify, as well as what they imply in combination with other cards, has expanded and been honed by experience and time. Gradually, naturally, I have developed my own way of reading Tarot, of seeing and feeling and thinking Tarot. I've sought out the oracle of the Tarot to guide me and to help guide those who have come to me, seeking insight and answers as well. Time after time... I have been rewarded with both. However you personally choose to define the oracle, whatever words you use to describe how tarot works or what it is that you are communicating with through the cards, it seeks you as you seek it. Time spent with the tarot will be rewarded with a better grasp of its language, better readings, and hopefully even wisdom as you face choices and decisions in your life or are asked to help your friends on their paths. For a while, I did readings for total strangers in a restaurant while people waited for their tables. I worked for tips and was strictly entertainment. And yet, 20 years later, I can still recall some of those readings in detail because by doing so many each night, I learned so much. They brought their drinks over to my little table, Their friends stood around and listened, and sometimes heckled, and somehow in the middle of all that distraction of loud talking and ubiquitous background music, china clinking and waitstaff bustling about, an amazing percentage of the time we, the seeker and I, the reader, reached out and grasped onto each other and found the oracle together. For it's the oracle that speaks to us through the language of tarot. I feel that it's the same oracle who answers us using the I Ching, the same oracle who spoke to the ancient Egyptians and who stunned emperors with the prophecies at Delphi and who raised the hairs on the backs of the necks of Africans when their shamans returned from their journeys and spoke. Celtic people used runes. Eastern Europeans trusted their strega, Amerindians danced into trance and went on vision quests, and Pentecostals shook and spoke in tongues. They all asked and they were all answered. This book is the culmination of my work with the tarot and the result of literally thousands of readings that I have given. It began as a handwritten journal in which I jotted down thoughts about card interpretations or readings that I found particularly interesting. I'm not certain when it occurred to me that if I added some things and did a little reorganizing, I'd end up with the book you now hold in your hands, or listen to, as a podcast. It's been a very organic process, one step following another in a natural progression, even though it was quite some time before I saw where those steps were leading. The Oracle of the Tarot speaks in pictures. It utilizes a visual language. Perhaps because I make my living as a visual artist, the tarot has been kind enough to speak eloquently to me. I instinctively understand its language because it is, in essence, my language, too, the language of the artist, the symbols and forms of life expressed in pictorial form. Nevertheless, it is not required that someone be a visual artist in order to understand the tarot's language and see the wisdom in its answers. Humans are a remarkably visual species. Sight has always been important to us, and we even all look different. We are the most diverse species when it comes to appearance, with a huge range of possible eye, hair, and skin color, plus astounding variations of shape and size. No other species exists in so many variables. We identify each other instantly based on these visual characteristics, Moreover, if you were reading this book and not listening to the podcast, you would be right now sorting out and decoding a complex system of visual clues. The Tarot is a particularly apt oracle because it is based on visual images, and not just any images either. Tarot uses images that speak to our souls, to our shared experiences as humans, to our day-to-day lives and our deepest philosophical and emotional impulses. You have all you need inside you already to understand the tarot's language and decode its images because you are part of humanity and the tarot was created to speak to you. The book you hold in your hands or are listening to as a podcast, therefore, is designed merely to help you access information you already have. My experience, my high degree of visual awareness, my sensitivity... To the Tarot's language will open your own eyes and heart to the blessings the Oracle will bestow. On a practical level, this book will help you develop an interface with the Tarot, explaining its more esoteric nuances while reassuring you that your own instinctive responses to its images are, in fact, correct and insightful. Gradually, depending on how much time you can give to working with the tarot, you will learn to see its messages clearly. Because the oracle wishes, beyond all else, to speak to you, directly, not through my eyes or with my words, but to you, in addition, if you come to the oracle with seriousness of intent, to learn, to grow, to see, to be alternately humbled and empowered by its wisdom, it will reward you with understanding, focus, and great wisdom, as it has done, to my continued wonder and gratitude, for me. The Oracle of the Tarot waits for your questions. This book is a guide to help you ask them in ways that the Tarot recognizes, and to begin to hear the answers that will be given. For answers will be given. No matter what your concerns, whether they reflect matters of life and death or the seemingly mundane patterns of daily life, the oracle wishes to provide you with guidance, reassurance, and warnings. Never be afraid to ask or to open your heart to hear the oracle speak because the next 22 episodes of this podcast will consist of my interpretations of the Major Arcana Cards, I'm now going to read the introduction to the Major Arcana Cards from the language of Tarot. When people who know very little about the Tarot visualize what Tarot cards look like, they picture the Major Arcana. Cards such as the Hanged Man, Death, and the Devil, are familiar to almost everyone, in part because they have been used in innumerable, usually bad, movies and TV shows to move the, usually thin, plot along when the convenient, slightly loony, gypsy fortune teller reads the hero or heroine's cards and, how astonishing, all sorts of nasty stuff shows up. Besides providing particularly unbelievable ex machina for awful movies... The major arcana serve a significant role in tarot readings, providing emphasis, weight, and a hint of what fate has in store for the seeker. Their first responsibility is to give us, as readers, a clue as to which parts of a reading require further explanation or a greater sense of importance. It's as if they are throwing whatever part of a reading they fall in into italics or bold type, You are supposed to notice these cards and take note of where they fall. In some ways, their meanings are simpler, more direct, and less complex than the minor arcana, but at the same time, they indicate not just people or events, but forces at play in the seeker's life. What you call these mysterious forces doesn't matter. Fate, destiny, karma, whatever, it's all the same. We may not know what to call it, but we know it when we see it, especially when it's happening to us. The oracle is, itself, a sort of underlined, italicized force, so it seems particularly fitting that it should hand us these special cards to warn us that more than just human whim is at play in the matter at hand. What this means in practical terms is that readers are wise to note where major arcana cards fall in a reading and spend a little extra time on those facets of a reading. In addition, if a reading is disproportionately high in major arcana cards, the question being asked has a very significant, potentially life-changing meaning for the seeker. Remember the rule of thumb. If anything more than 25% of the total number of cards in a reading are major arcana cards, that is out of proportion high. The reader is then advised to be particularly careful with the reading, presenting as much information as possible, and assuring the seeker that the oracle understands how important this question is to her. The next episode of this podcast will begin my interpretation of the Major Arcana Cards. It will start with the Fool, the card of Opportunity and Potential. I hope you will tune in again soon for the next episode of this podcast of The Language of Tarot. But first, I have um, one more note to add before we move on, and this is a response to a review of this podcast on iTunes. The writer of the review gave me four stars out of five, but then her whole review is nitpicking about my pronunciation of the word tarot. I'd normally stay out of this because I find it a silly thing to get into, but I'm going to weigh in with pronunciation of, of that word. Uh, there is no correct pronunciation. That's the first thing I would say. If you look in both Webster's and the Oxford Dictionary of the English Language, you'll see that there is no path of understanding of where this word originated. Uh, it could be an Italian word. It, it supposedly um, is older than that. My mother's family came from a village somewhere in what would now be Slovakia or Romania, depending on where exactly on the border there in the Carpathians uh, that village would have been, Uh, and in fact, it wasn't really a village. It was a, a winter camp because my mother's family were Romani people. They were gypsies, and my grandmother and my mom and my aunt, who taught me the very basics of tarot at a very early age, said tarot. Actually, mostly they just said the cards, but when they when they went further than that, they said tarot. I studied under a wonderful teacher in uh, California who had been born in Italy and she also said tarot. Now, what's happened is Americans who are notoriously insecure about pronunciation, especially of foreign words, have really taken on the French version of pronunciation, which is sort of tarot or or tarot, I guess. Um, and Webster's and uh, uh, the OED both have multiple pronunciations of that version. The OED goes further and has, I think, six or seven possible pronunciations, including uh, pronouncing the T in various ways, harder, softer. Uh, from what I've learned from speaking to, to readers from all over the world, German-speaking people, Italian-speaking people, uh, most of of Europe, in fact, except for the French, pronounce the T. Brits seem to be divided, as Americans are, but the, most of the Brits I've spoken to pronounce the T. Uh, so anyway, if, if you're, my advice would be this. If you're starting out with the cards and you're new and you live in the United States, you probably want to go with Taru. And, and just go with that, that system or else you're going to have to add stupid explanations like this you know, every time you speak about card reading, which really have nothing to do with the cards. It's, it's a modern um, constraint that's been placed upon them like many other constraints. And so this is this is all I'm going to say on the subject. If anybody wants to weigh in further, uh, do so privately uh, through email or, or whatever. Uh, I'd really rather not have reviews of my podcast or my books be cluttered up with stuff that I think is trivial and unimportant. So without any further comment on this subject, I'm going to just move on. Until then, I invite you to come and visit me on robertaleeart.com, where you will learn a lot more about what I do. And to become my fan on Facebook, where there are always wonderful discussions ongoing about all of my work. Until then, thank you so much for listening.